welcome everyone. I brought my special background for Wale to make him miss his previous world. And he has my other world. He's the financially literate head of sports and entertainment at UBS. And everybody knows that great financial institution, former NFL player, and of course a philanthropist, which makes him one of my favorite people. Now, Wale, I'm going to start because Akbar and I are very good friends. And I have a deal with Akbar that I'm going to make with you as well. I screw up more names in it. Not everyone's name is easy as Mike Diamond. So I am going to have you teach me to start how to pronounce your last name correctly, because I still can't. Akbar Bijamila is not happening in my world. But your name, I think I can get. Uh, give us your full name real quick. Well, my full name is Adewale Ogunleya. Ogunleya. So, and and, and originally, originally from? Originally born and raised in New York City, but the name is a Nigerian name. My parents are uh, Nigerian. And I uh, I got ran over in college. I played college football. Don't laugh at me. But uh, Christian Okoye uh, ran me over my freshman year. I still have his autograph. He stepped on me uh, from running me. <laughs> kind, of, kind of weird, but I, I mean, that's actually a... a actually look admire you for that because that's that's the legend right there to say you got ran over by christian it's actually a pretty good thing yeah i mean people expect him or run me over but he's run over even bigger and better than i of course but now you and i uh you know i work with marshall falk in financial literacy uh one of you know the shames of, of my life is you know i was a multi-millionaire well-educated law school business school and i lost everything because i wasn't financially literate and so I believe, you know, it has nothing to do with intelligence. It has nothing to do with formal education. We don't teach financial literacy in high schools, colleges, or graduate schools. Uh, it's one of the most ridiculous things. What led you down the path uh, that, you know, in entrepreneurship, in financial literacy, to empower people, you know, with the basics uh, in this, you know, much needed space uh, with UBS? Yeah, great question. And thanks for having me, first of all. But I think I share with you in that same story. You know, I graduated from Indiana University, um, played in the NFL for 11 years, was able to learn defenses in and out, offenses in and out. Though, you know, these playbooks were you know, this big. So you couldn't tell me that I wasn't intelligent. You know, I read books all the time. But when it comes to money, it's just a whole different language, a different ballgame. I almost felt that the way – advisors spoke about money is like intentionally in a way to keep people from knowing um, what to do with their money and knowing what to ask. So I got sick and tired of risking my money, my hard earned money that I've made. And I went back to school just to learn the basic fundamentals of, of my own finances. I wanted to get my MBA. Um, and I really just wanted to find out um, what are the right questions for me to ask? And I think if you ask the right questions, you scare a lot of people away. So that was my first line of defense, just being able to know what to say um, and kind of just get by. But then I realized that this degree gave me the opportunity and the, 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 the foresight to realize that the industry needs more people actually, especially the, the entertainment industry, needs more people who are able to speak the language of our athletes and entertainers in a way that they're able to understand. But more importantly, um, not talking over them, actually talking with them as partners, as um, people that they need guidance and, and and the ability to transfer this money that we're making in this 15 minutes that we have um, and turn this in, into a legacy. And and UBS was able to, to look at me and say, Wale, we, we understand exactly what you're talking about and uh, we want to go down this journey with you. So in a nutshell, that's kind of how I got to UBS being the head of sports entertainment here at our firm. Well, do you think it's um, frustration after a while? Because, like, when you get with a lawyer, lawyers talk, lawyer talk, and they manipulate conversations, and you're an athlete, you're really talented, and you get to a point where you can't find those answers, and then you just people just give up. Do you think it's a frustration thing that after a while that people just throw in the towel, unlike you, that realize you had to take responsibility? Yeah, I think that's a part of it. I think a part of it is, you know, frustration. But I do think, you know, uh, successful people are creators. They find ways to um, make a difference in people's lives, make a difference in their own lives. And a lot of that, too, comes ego. Um, advisors would speak to me about things and talk to me about 
we're going to charge you, you know, a certain amount of basis points. And I would just nod my head and try to find out what the hell basis point meant. And my, me being an alpha male and captain of a football team that went to a Super Bowl, I'm not going to admit that I don't know anything about finances. You know, uh, what do you mean I don't know about finances? I have millions of dollars in the bank. I, I know a lot about finances. But the truth of the matter is uh, pride, ego, frustration, whatever it is, it's just barriers for keeping us from understanding um, the key elements of things we should understand when it comes to our finances and really having the courage to say, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about as a financial advisor. Um, can you teach me? And I think that's where uh, we have to be better at just realizing that uh, we're not going to uh, get the answers by, what is it? What is it? Osmosis? It's, I mean, we have to actually do um, do the work. So um, I'm glad that I'm in this position to get men and women in, in our industry to ask the right questions and to think about, you know, being um, pillars outside of the field, outside of the, the, the stage or wherever, you know, they make their money. And while they, awesome. you know, one of the other things, you know, when I ran Lee Steinberg and Warren Moon, the Hall of Fame quarterback, and I have been partners for years. And I love the fact that he was one of those people that if he didn't know something, he would ask. But there's a whole nother nuance, especially in the financial world that I find with successful people, not just sports, not just entertainment, but all successful people, billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs. And it's, they want to be liked, uh, m- most of them, and especially athletes and entertainers. So even if they understand you know, the nuances of the phrases and terms and vocabulary that a certain lawyer or financial planner uh, or even technology people nowadays use to separate us or make us feel inferior, even if they understand those terms, they then are afraid to offend by asking the hard questions. Like, you know, so say I know what basis points are. They're afraid to say, well, why should you get three basis points on this? Like, what the F are you doing? You know what I mean? And, you know, we represent a lot of great boxers and, you know, boxers, because they didn't have the same type of union, they weren't capped off at the 3% an NFL player was got. You know, you could get 20. You know, I know that uh, my friend Don King, who's not really my friend, sometimes would get upwards of 45%, you know, and just out of... Someone being too afraid to ask, dude, because I know they knew what 45% was. Dude, why do you get 45% when I'm in the ring getting my butt kicked? Right. You know, uh, so where and how do we encourage through financial literacy what I call trust people, but you got to vet the crap out of them? Yeah, that's exactly it, right? Trust, but verify, right? Um, I think what, what, what we have to do, um, and I think it starts with first the individual, Right. Um, have these conversations that we're having here, like continue to, you know, pour into people, but make sure that the 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 responsibility falls on the athlete or entertain themselves. That's number one. But the industries have to do a better job. You know, I mean, me being in the NFL, it felt like a lot of times the financial education pieces that they had were just check the boxes. Right. And the coaches felt like if you didn't focus on the game, if you did anything other than, you know, football, you were taken away from the team. And we realized that that approach is just not going to work. And I think it's in the best interest of our leagues, whether it be the Boxing Commission or the NFL, to invest in your in your commodity, which is the players. They become great spokesmen if they're able to go on after the sports world and be great entrepreneurs, businessmen, philanthropists husbands and wives, um, contributors to society, it looks good for the sport. And the, indus- the industries and the corporations that are, that are leading these um, athletes uh, have to take responsibility in that. You know, the business deals that the owners of, the, the owners of these NFL teams have, uh, the financial advisors and the teams and the ecosystem around these owners that they have, they should find ways to let their players know, like, this This is what I do with my money. Never once did a uh, owner sit down with the whole team and, and talk about financial uh, security and financial uh, education. And who better to learn from than a billionaire, right? So, again, I, I really feel like the industry has to do a better job. But I will go back and say, again, it has to fall back on the individuals and it has to be a interest from our part to want to seek out these answers. 
um, well, I love how you, so you've got the, the Goal Power Foundation where you're going back and helping the inner city kids and educating them, which is so incredible because they don't get this information. Can you right. talk about that? It's such a, I mean, it's an amazing foundation. It's awesome. Right, right. Thanks, man. It, 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 it just, again, if you know when it comes to successful people, I think a good part of them, I wouldn't even say 95 to 99%, feel like they have to give back for whatever reason it is. Gold power for me was amazing in a sense that um, the truth of the matter is there's really less than 1% of all of our population are ever going to make it professionally in sports. And even less of that population are going to be able to make enough money that that's all they're going to have to do for the rest of their lives. Um, with that being said, uh, I, I've taken the excitement and the interest in sports and realized like you may not be a LeBron James but you can be his trainer. You may not be a LeBron James, but you can be his manager. You may not be a LeBron James, but you can be the person interviewing him on television. You may not be LeBron James, but you can be uh, the owner of the team. There's so many different aspects of sports okay. that if you put your mind to it, you can make a decent living also and still enjoy um, the, the comforts of being in a sport that you love. And if it's football, you don't have to take the bruises that I did. You know, my agents have made a lot of money playing it, uh, working in, uh, in, uh, in NFL, and they haven't tackled one person ever. And um, a lot of them are, are millionaires in their own right. So um, I just wanted to show the inner city that, yes, it's cool to want to be like Mike, you know, quote, unquote, especially come from Chicago, but it's, it's just as cool to be a part of the team that makes things go on Sunday, right? I took kids to the stadiums to be a groundskeeper or to be uh, uh, a trainer at, at the stadiums. And they could see everything from a day-to-day -day perspective that on Sunday you saw me playing, but you didn't know that it took a whole team of people who get paid handsomely uh, to make that thing go on Sunday. So that was just my um, abilities, uh, my willingness to want to get back to our community. So good. I mean, Tim Grove is the perfect example. Sorry, Dave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking how it resembled the comment about the sports agent. So, thank you for the millions. Thank you, thank you for the millions of dollars. I quit getting hit when I was when I was twenty two, an average Division three football player who got ran over by Koya. Last thing, real quick, I think you're onto something beyond that. And you know, I one thing the movie Jerry Maguire taught me was sports was a backdrop, right? The movie people think is a sports movie, but it's really a love story with the backdrop of sports and i work with youth in the same uh, realm and i think being a financial advisor by the way is a great way to be around sports uh you know nobody finances you know more sporting events and golf tournaments and athletes and endorsements but also works with more athletes entertainers celebrities than financial advisors and the same personality traits that made you a great football player the enjoyment of the consistent everyday, persistent without quit pursuit of your own potential uh, has built multi-million dollar careers. And I know Marshall and I work with the NFLPA to expose a lot of the, you know, more cup cup of coffee type of players and also legacy Hall of Fame players that never got an opportunity to make money that have a really great brand and credibility to give them and inform them of the opportunity and alignment of being a financial advisor through the Gold Power Foundation, you also talk about your second profession as an advisor and the opportunity to utilize sports as a backdrop, but also to help other people in the same respect. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think any opportunity I get to speak to, uh, you know, athletes or uh, youth, especially the community I come from in New York City, I let them know about my position, right, that I work with uh, some of the best advisors in the world. I work at probably the biggest a global wealth manager in the world and why it's important for us to get behind um, the, the the notion that we've got to do better with our finances, whether it be getting your credit scores right or, you know, saving money, going to school, getting an education and trying to better yourself, right? Again, everyone has that dream of buying their mom a house or uh, that, that, that goal, but it takes one step at a time of picking up a book and understanding things. And my role here at UBS is great in the sense that, you know, we have uh, thousands of advisors here, but I personally only work with a small group of advisors. We call them athlete, entertainer, consultants. And these advisors that I work with, 
Um, we put them through a training process in really trying to make sure that we weed out people who watch, in my opinion, too much sports TV, watch too much gossip TV, and think that's the, um, the way to advise athletes and entertainers. We don't need fans. We don't claim to be fans here at UBS. We really want people who want to partner with our clients, understand the communities they come from, and then more importantly, understand why it's important to give back to those communities, right? And make sure that uh, when it comes to philanthropic endeavors, UBS um, would stand with their clients, stand with the foundation they want to create. Um, I think that's things we do extremely well. And you do, and we appreciate you. Wale, here we go. Ogunlae. Ogunlae? Is that good? Ogunlae? Ogunlae, Ogunleye. All right. You did it. Wale, thank you so much. Head of sports entertainment at UBS. Hell of a season in 2003, by the way, uh, as an AFC guy. Incredible season there. Philanthropist, most importantly to me. He is number one in our hearts and our playbooks. Thanks so much for joining us here on Office Hours. Thank you. Please. Anytime. Join me again. Keep up the good work. Thank you. All right. We're off to, oh yeah, I got the perfect backdrop for him, right? So of course I go from one of the more difficult names to Art Bell. (laughs) And Matt puts himself up there. What's up, Art? Hey, how are you? Terrific. Art Bell, he is uh, an incredible writer. Uh, We're going to talk about your memoir, the audiobook of your memoir that uh, will be released soon. Uh, And uh, really Uh, It's called what? Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. (laughs) That's what it's called, and that's what it's about. That's so good. (laughs) That is so good. Well, why don't we talk about that, right? Here you are, uh, an honored legacy writer and entering into this podcast world and the new mediums that you have. And, you know, we're able now to have a platform to tell the truth. And there seems to be, you know, the tragic humor in building, you know, one of the greatest platforms for comedy, Comedy Central, how did it make you lose your sense of humor? <laughs> well, I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that Comedy Central was not launched fully formed and brilliantly successful uh, right off the bat. I mean, it was really, I, I went to work every day the first year thinking they were going to shut us down. And that's how hard it was. We were desperately just trying to survive in the early years. And thank goodness it did survive and thrive uh, because it, it built a lot of great comedy careers and made a lot of people happy, I think. Absolutely did. And, you know, with any overnight success that wasn't really an overnight success, there was always moments, uh, like you said, every day you were worried about being a business. Where was the breakthrough moment when you realized, you know, was it a certain person that came on Comedy Central? You know, I worked with Leslie Buckley and the Spectrum with Aircom and his breakthrough moment was when he realized we could put access points on public facilities. So he went to every police station and fire station and placed those access points. And all of a sudden we had throughput into Europe. Uh, But more importantly, was there a breakthrough moment or a certain moment that you remember saying, wow, this is about to take off? Well, there were several, and uh, let me just tell you about the first one. I mean, one of the things that I, when I pitched comedy on All Comedy Network, first of all, HBO didn't love the idea. They they said no for a long, long time. Finally, they said, okay, maybe we should try this. So even before we launched, one of the one of my dreams for it was it would be the center of the comedy universe, and that great comedy would find us. And guess what happened even before we launched? In the mail, we got a cassette from the guys who did Mystery Science Theater 3000. I and they sent that. us a pilot and they sent a letter saying, hey, I hear you guys, we hear you guys are starting a comedy channel. Is this something that might work on your channel? And I thought, man, this is great. We haven't even launched yet. And something like this is coming to us uh, and nobody else would put it on the air. I mean, NBC wasn't going to do that, right? And, and so there we were. We were going to be a great comedy channel. That's when I felt, okay, this is a good idea. That's amazing. So right now, because we're in such a crazy world with politically correctness, how are you finding it with, I mean, like Dave was talking, Dave and I were talking about this the other day, like, you know, we can't laugh at our certain jokes and comedians anymore because everyone's so sensitive. 
how how is this ha- what's happening with the transition it's it's just become so bad you can't say anything without people getting offended you know what it's really crazy and i hope it's a i hope it's cyclical something that'll swing back because comedy you know especially the great comedy tradition in the u.s is about laughing at ourselves and about you know also, it's about a little bit about walking up to the line and then putting your toe across the line and then bringing it back. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't have to mention Lenny Bruce to you guys because, you know, the guy got he got arrested on stage hundreds of times because he was and and all he said he was doing was telling the truth. And that's what he was doing. But, you know, in those days, he couldn't talk about sex. He couldn't talk about drugs. He couldn't talk about. And there he was doing it. We have that tradition in America, and it's a very important tradition. We talked to, by the way, I have a, a podcast I started with, Vinny Favalli, who's a guy who was there at the beginning at comedy, uh, and he's a very funny guy, and he, he worked on Letterman for years and years, knows everybody. We were, we've been talking to comedians, and this is what's on their mind. We talked to Judy Gold. She just wrote a book about it. Judy Gold, who's been a great comedian, she's been around for a long time, she says, it's ridiculous. You can't get on stage now and say something without somebody standing up and walking out because they're offended. It's like, okay, if you want to stand up and walk out, fine, whatever. But, you know, really, are we really going to let comedy go down like this? I mean, are we really going to give up on some of the great stuff? Jerry Seinfeld recently said he wouldn't work colleges anymore Yeah, because it's too hard. Yeah, no kidding. Colleges, which is supposed to be the bastion of like anything goes. And <laughs> we hear a lot about that from some of those frat party guys. But, but you know, apparently you can get, you can be offensive if you're a comedian on campus. I find that, you know, That's I find crazy. that crazy. So with, it's got, it's got to come back. It's got to come yeah. back. Yeah. And, and I've represented some comedians myself. And, you know, when even before the cancel culture took over and worse, what I call the historical cancel culture, which kills me uh, because they can go back historically and take something that you said 30 years ago that actually was funny and then then cancel you because you said it 30 years ago when everybody was saying it, whether it was right or wrong is irrelevant, right? It's what was socially acceptable. That's what determined what's right or wrong. But he, there's a saying that he said, he goes, you know what? If you have a need to be offended, and this is the issue now, too many people have a need to be offended it will feed itself faster than anything else. You, you step outside with the need to be offended, it will take you 0.1 seconds to find something to be offended by. And so we have to shift that paradigm. And I think your podcast, by illuminating, by the greatest comedians that you have on there, is an important first step to swing the pendulum back the other way, Art, because I think when people get more normalized to, hey, take an effing joke, uh, and it's not meant with any malice or intent, it's meant to allow ourselves to laugh at ourselves, to bring us together, that we're all flawed, all different. In fact, I believe the company that does that actually allows us to appreciate how we're all the same. So if you're Jewish, Italian, Chinese, whatever, and you have an overbearing mother, the shit's funny. We're not making fun <laughs> of Jewish guilt. You know, you know what I mean? And it brings us together. Yeah, and let me, let me point out something else. When I started um, getting fascinated by comedy when I was a kid, there were lots and lots of guy comedians and there weren't very many female comedians who were doing so well. You know, there were a handful that we know about. Uh, and then all of a sudden female comedians, women comedians showed up. They were great. And they also helped move the ball forward in terms of women being recognized for, you know, for what they are and for who they are and for, for being part, you know, an equal p- part of, of society because women, I always think of this, women have been kept down for so long. And when you get like a Judy Tenuta or, you know, Sarah Silverman and everybody said, Oh, Sarah, man, you can't talk about that stuff. This is what's made. This is what's put women front and center and on, on the, you know, a level playing field with everybody else in the country, if not the world. So if you think that being a little offensive isn't helpful once in a while, think about what women comedians have done for, for the United States. Yeah, talking yeah. about Lenny Bruce, I, I love the marvelous Miss Maisel, right? And uh, it's really uh, also illuminating that exact fact. Go ahead, Mikey. No, you know, it's funny you said that. I was at the Laugh Factory doing a show with a friend of mine who's filthy, and I opened for him, and I said a word that in, I'm Australian. We say that C word a lot, 
And I dropped it. And the, the guy that organized the show said, you can't say that. And he said, he can say whatever he wants. And he's like, why can't he say that word? And he goes, well, I, you can say it. You're, you know, the headliner. So my friend said to me, you have to come out in the next show. We have to watch it, right? You have to just drop it every five minutes to offend him. And I just kept dropping the C word, right? Just dropping it and dropping it. And he pulled my friend aside, who was the, the headliner. He goes, I will cancel. And we, we sold out 10 nights in, in Vegas. And he goes, I will cancel this whole thing. He goes, I'll walk. I don't care. It's comedy. If people are getting, if people aren't getting offended, they're laughing. You're getting offended. And he battled with him and he kept us on, but I was laughing so much over, and it was just, you know, the word that I'm not going to say on here, but you know what I mean? It was just funny that it was like, and he's like, he's Australian. That's what they say. They say it like, you know, in English, he couldn't, couldn't deal with it. But if it was the headliner, it was okay. It's like, yeah, but see, that's, what's, that's what's so brilliant about comedy and comedians who like you will stick to their guns. And not like, you know, say, oh, yeah, okay, I'll back off. I'll do whatever you want. No, I'm here to talk. I'm here to relate to the audience. I'm here to, you know, or or if we're writing a sitcom or if you're writing a movie. I mean, I think, Dave, you mentioned that, you know, cancel canceling history. You go back and look at some of the great comedians and some of the great comic um, sitcoms and some of the great comedy movies. That stuff, yeah, it's politically incorrect, but, you know, take it for what it was. You know, understand, you got to put things in a little bit of context. You can't just say, oh, I'm never going to watch Blazing Saddles because, you know what, that one thing with the guy and the other guy. It's like, are you kidding me, Mel Brooks? He's a genius. you got to watch Mel Brooks, okay? And every comedian knows that. Every comedian knows and every comic writer knows that they are standing on the shoulders of all the great comedy that came before them, good, bad, and indifferent. And it's, it's, it's just sad. You, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to dwell yeah. on this too much, but it is sad to see it get sort of shut down a little bit in a way that it shouldn't be. Yeah. It's, it's funny you mentioned Mel Brooks. It's the only time someone has actually come out to ask me to audition for a movie. They wanted me to play <laughs> a young, young Mel Brooks in, in his biography. So, uh, for some reason, I look like Mel Brooks and John Lovett. You do, you know. Honest to goodness, I was thinking that as I brought up Mel Brooks, I said, "No, am I just seeing this? Am I like yeah, imagining oh it?" I met so Mel good. Brooks once. I met Mel Brooks once, and it was one of the greatest moments of my life. As silly as that sounds, you know. But when you meet no, your heroes, when you meet your heroes, he was in my boss's office, and my boss called me and says, "Come here, I want you to meet somebody." So I walk in, and there's Mel Brooks sitting on the couch, and the first thing he says to me he goes, "Hey." Does your mother know you dress like that? And I said, <laughs> I started laughing. I said, I think so. She dressed me this morning. <laughs> and uh, he started nice. laughing. And I thought, oh, man, I made Mel Brooks laugh. Right. It was, awesome. it was terrific. It was just great yeah, to meet a guy like that. He earned his respect immediately. And History of the World is one of my favorites uh, from That's Mel Brooks, great. obviously, laughing your way through it. Real, real quick before we let you go, we have one minute. But you also transitioned from comedy as the president of Court TV. So yeah. it went beyond just comedy. It's understanding, aggregating a community and an interest via cable television. Because as you know, everyone out there, Core TV, highly successful as well. What were some of the similarities that you saw to carry over from the success of Comedy Channel into Core TV? Well, the first similarity was about me. Um, I was an outsider when I walked into the comedy business. I didn't know anything about comedy. Uh, they said, oh, you're the guy with the big idea. And all these guys knew everything about comedy I was working with. When I walk into Court TV, guess what? It's all journalists. These guys are like serious journalists from the New York Times and everything else. And they're like, what do you know about journalism? And I said, oh, man, here we go again. I got to get accepted to the club before I you know, get involved here. That was that was one thing. And you know what? Other than that, I mean, it was a very different kettle of fish when you're talking about crime and justice. But <laughs> I had the ability. And no funny, though. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of funny going on there, although we did have Joan Rivers on. But, I mean, um, the, the, the whole idea that we were doing a, a, a channel about all comedy and then doing a channel about all crime and justice, people were always scratching their heads like, where do you find all this stuff? You find it. And not only that. Yeah, I got interested in it. The same way I was interested in comedy, suddenly I'm I'm like talking to some of the great detectives and some of the great, you know, judges and stuff. Suddenly the I'm around all kinds of fascinating people. I loved it. That's awesome. Well, check out the Constant Comedy Podcast. Learn from Martin Vinny, the legends, any office hours I can do where we mention Mel Brooks, Lenny. Uh, you know, or even uh, Joan Rivers, half the audience is like, 
you know, it's like that kid that came into my office wanting a job. And I said, you got to take this job like Rudy takes football. And he says, who's Rudy? <laughs> Listen, no. just I just want to I just want to say, yes, my book has been out. Um, it's called Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. The audio book is coming out shortly. So check that out. I and I'm the one who narrates it. And then, of course, the podcast. So uh, check it all out. Artbellwriter.com is my is my website. Artbellwriter.com. Thank you. Arbel. Come back again. And we need to talk more. I can oh, see why it. Mel Brooks thinks you're funny. <laughs> Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks, you got for, it. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Right. Take care. We got legends awesome. on today, man. We got us two legends in a row. I feel sorry for Randy joining us. <laughs> there he is. A soon-to-be, a soon-to-be legend. The ama- amazing Randy Reyes, founder of Outgrow. Randy, they squeezed you between the legends because the last guest we have is is my mentor uh, and oh, wow. my my master, Master Shaw. So we're going to blow Mike Diamond away when Master Shaw comes in here. But before we do that, let's talk about promoting Outgrow Free Trial that's available right now. Give us a little bit of background on what you're offering. Sure. So basically, Outgrow is a tool used by marketers to build a wide range of interactive tools. And the main idea is that right now, when you want to educate your customers or you want to help your customers, um, usually people write blog posts and they create a wide range of different content pieces. What we wanted to do was to allow people to create tools that are personalized, and interactive. So, for example, like an assessment or a calculator or a quiz um, or a recommendation engine. So there's like a wide range of things. Basically, you get a certain set of information from the customer and you can give them a personalized output. And we wanted to make this accessible to marketers. And so that's what the Outgrow, Outgrow does. And the free trial gives you the ability to kind of test it out with like no risk at all. You just put in your email and you can do the free trial and see what types of things you can build and how much functionality we actually have under the hood and what you can build with, with our tool. What spurred you to do this? What, 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 what oh, that's a good it? question. Yeah. So uh, if you know in the early 2010s, you, uh, you probably guys, you guys probably remember the growth of the mobile app store. Uh, when that happened, we had a, you know, we, we were kind of, we built this kind of development marketplace and a lot of the top people were using our marketplace to build mobile apps. And we realized that there was zero information at the time about mobile app development because it was so new. And so we built a mobile app cost calculator and it turned out to be our number one marketing channel better than anything we could imagine. And the cost of the, uh, the tool was just building the tool. Like there was no like ad cost or, or much uh, additional cost other than building it. And we thought, wait, this is actually a marketing strategy. Uh, this is a great marketing strategy. So, and then we, we kind of said, and then over time we kind of wrapped our head around this as like, why don't other marketers do this? And then we realized that marketers aren't developers. And so they don't, uh, they can't do it because they don't have the accessibility. And so we built, we started off as a, as a calc- people making easy for marketers to build calculators and then expanded into other adjacent areas. Brilliant. You know, one of the things that I think is remarkable about Outgrow is that they're faced in two different nuances that I call subjective value. So marketers are the kings of, of subjective value and developers are the kings of subjective value. Neither really align with quantitative value, right? I call them Barney. Barney businesses, the purple dinosaur, right? I love you, you love me, nobody makes <laughs> any money. Um, and yet what's so interesting is that you're able to apply through um, Outgrow a quantitative value to what has been a very subjective business. Uh, and what are some of those quantitative values that you guys were able to uh, execute on that have made Outgrow so popular? Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. So uh, I think you're asking about how our customers or how we yeah. or our customers right. the value the value of what you built right. Yeah. So I think from our customers, the value our customers get from the tool is mainly the ability to educate and and to help customers under their customers understand. So usually what will happen is a mark their marketing team will come and they'll start to build assessments. So let's say they're selling some a sales software they'll they'll come and build assessments to assess your current sales processes and then the sales team and, and the client in the from our of our customers will use a use it to help build a 
ROI calculator, or it's kind of something that helps you. How much time will you save by using our tool? So basically, will you plug in? Okay, how many salespeople do you have on team? Uh, how, what, how much time do they spend doing X, Y, Z? Uh, what are your current operations uh, or workflow? And then how can this new workflow save them time? And then you multiply that by the number of employees, et cetera. And you kind of come up with a formula saying, okay, well, this is going to save me, you know, four hours per employee per week. That's a huge saving. Okay, take that into dollars. And so that's how they are taking, getting value from it. Build, they, they kind of start with this. And then over time, they kind of, they can build like knowledge tests and easier content pieces as well. Um, and so that's how our customers advantage. Are you asking also about how we use it or mainly about sure. how our customers both, use it? Both ways. I'm looking for, you know, because of the nuances in marketing, and of course, in development, both the people who are developing and the marketer and the clients and their customers all work in the context of opinion, of conditions or judgments, just a subjective value. And yet it seems so quantitative, you know, what you're doing on every portion from the development to the customer to their customers. Oh, yeah. that's So that's, this is, you're, you hit on a, a very important point, actually. So what happens is usually a marketer, when they, when they try to build something, um, if they're working with a developer and a designer, it's it's so many uh, it's it's so many pieces to to kind of coordinate, and it's hard to get it exactly what you want it. And so that's one of the challenges we've had is trying to say, okay, well, what functionality can we give a marketer directly so they can do it kind of like they build a PowerPoint presentation or how they you know so how can what can we do to give them that level of functionality? And so we basically allow the marketer to do quite sophisticated things on their own. Now, obviously, if they have like, you know, 100,000 SKUs of product and they want a product recommendation and they don't have a math background, they're going to need to work with a math person either on our team or on their team. Um, And so there are obviously going to be limitations depending on the complexity of the calculator recommendation tool they're building. Uh, But our goal is to try to take out as much of that as possible, both from development and design, so they can do it on their own. And then if they do need something more advanced, uh, we can kind of, we have math experts who are pretty good at, Telling the market, okay, do you have kind of the kind of the logic you're thinking through? Let's go get on a call, or if you have it written down, we'll look at it, and then we'll see how we can translate that into into a, a, some logic to help provide like relevant recommendations. And so that's how we kind of try to simplify it. But it's a very difficult problem because there are somewhat different wavelengths between the marketer, developer, and, and designer. Well, so here's a question for you, Randy. With everything changing so quickly, how do you guys stay relevant? How do you what what's what's the future for you guys? Because I mean, you're called outgrown, but you don't want to get outgrown. Right? Exactly, so. exactly. So that's true. That's true. At the beginning, it was like, oh, outgrow, we got it. You're new, and you're now. Yeah. Um, every time, you know, it's it's kind of a really interesting thing because we get pulled in many different directions by our customers. You know, marketers, the, the marketers that use us are creative, and they they come up with a lot of different ideas. And they want us to be able to do everything. They're like, can we can we not work with development at all? And we're like, we, we can help you with a lot of different things, but we can't obviously take out an entire development uh, team. So what we say, what we can do is we specialize in certain areas. So we have calculators, quizzes, and then over time, things happen. So then chatbots became popular, so we added that. And, and so from our standpoint, what we try to do is we continue to build more functionality into our tool so that people can improve their conversion. So, you know, things like, you know, popular thing we added in the past was the ability to schedule a call right in that content piece. So let's say you filled out the form and based on the assessment, you know, your current security system or whatever process you have for XYZ security system gets a six out of 10, they're going to say, oh, you need to schedule a call right away. Like this needs to be fixed. It's urgent. And so then they'll send you to schedule a call and it syncs directly with your calendar. So that ability to work with different calendar tools was a very popular thing that we had to kind of see, oh, what can we do to improve our customers' conversion rates? Uh, but that's continuously something that's a work in progress. So we're never done, uh, which is the which is kind of the exciting part and the hard part, is that you're just always trying to see, okay, we have all these customers that try to pull us in many directions, which ones make the most sense for what we're trying to achieve? And then we, we kind of make that decision and go for it. Awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, we... Certainly want to see how much you outgrow everybody else because it's a great business model. And uh, just really, it's so amazing how we don't think of everything and we miss some of the the most valuable parts and pieces of what should be included, uh, especially with remote working, outsourcing, and software development. Outgrow.co. Randy Reyes, thank you so much for joining us on Office Hours. Thank you guys so much. This has been great. You're awesome. Come back and visit. Thank you.
Thank you. All righty. Well, I uh, as we wait, if Master Shaw's ready, that's great. If not, let's uh, do our takeaways for the day because we've done all three and I'm about to blow everybody's mind. I want to give a little bit of an introduction as well. So, uh, Mikey, what's your takeaway so far of the day? I like um, one, one thing that re really resonated with me is having the humility to ask if you need help so you don't get stuck. And I loved what our first guest said. And then our second guest was really great. Don't take anything personal. And when you're in a position, just be willing to grow and expand. And we always talk about, you know, the need to, 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 to be offended. So, you know what I mean? Be humble. If you don't know something, ask for help and don't take things personal. Well, that's a perfect lead in to my master. And I will tell you, uh, Master Shaw is going to come on now. He is the Tao Grandmaster, healer, teacher, and author. He is family to me. Uh, and he, if you asked me 10 years ago if uh, I would uh, feel this way about any human being, uh, especially one that looks, talks, and feels like Master Shaw, I would have said, nope, not me. I'm not interested. Uh, this is the most humble person I've ever met. Uh, the most enlightened human being, Sadhguru, Deepak Chopra. I'm sorry, my friends. Master Shah is connected to and through the greatest source of Tao. Uh, and he has changed my life more than anyone I've ever met, uh, both financially, health, and family, my relationships, and my most importantly, my awareness. Uh, and he's done it through mechanisms and methodologies that when I first met him were not believable to me. So I am going to be doing a lot more with Master Shaw. I trace calligraphies. I wear blessed bracelets from him. Master Shaw, I want to introduce you to Mike Diamond, my, my partner here on Office Hours. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, Master Shaw, you know, I was hoping maybe, you know, you could tell me your perspective. You know, I'm a sports agent, uh, a, a business person, you know, and and. I would love for you to share what you see, the difference from the day you met me. We share the same book agent, a very famous book agent. He was Eckhart Tolle's book agent as well. And he said to you, hey, I got a very spiritual sports agent to meet. But how have you seen me grow uh, since we've met, since I started tracing calligraphies at least 10 minutes a day and wearing the bracelets in uh, believing in what you teach and learn? How, what growth have you seen in me in the last, you know, 10 years? Yeah. The first point is uh, you are such a wise man, I feel. Very calm, <laughs> speak very powerful, the wisdom, the point, everything comes to the point. And people love to listen what you're talking because you, you have your own channel to the source. We all have a channel. I think your spiritual channel, your awareness channel open, you are speaking for universe. Uh, love, compassion, wisdom, success, flourishing, uh, and also great uh, idea to guide people for business. And also, I think uh, the, the calmness from you. Uh, and lots of good points. <laughs> Thank you. Mike? I think the best thing that Dave has is he gives and he's prepared to give. And that's the the greatest quality he has. Like he'll always think of how to give to people. And it's a really, really beautiful quality. Thank you. I'm sure you're sitting there with some question about my calligraphies that I trace every day or for Master Shaw. I'm curious, well, this is the first time you've met him. What are you thinking? Well, what I was going to ask you is when we first met, you were talking about the calligraphy. And you talked about how you were on the plane going, was it to India and you didn't want to meditate? At what time did you, how did you meet Master Shaw and when, where, how, did, how did the process go? Well, uh, my book agent, Bill Gladstone, told me that I needed to meet this extraordinary person who did mind, body, soul transmissions and that he would like to meet the Hall of Fame athletes that I worked with to heal them. And that he felt that his credibility in the Western world would raise up if I could introduce him and provide him an opportunity to heal. What he showed me, he healed big, big superstar names. In fact, 
I thought, oh my goodness, everyone's going to know what I know now because you know it's one thing to hear about what someone does, but in see videos and you know, but to see it happen to the world's best athletes, and then for him to heal you and your wife and your family, and you know, I'm talking about chronic injury, Mike. You know that you know with the power of source that things that you know I would be ten years ago embarrassed to tell people. In fact. Most of the athletes, when I asked for their testimonials, they were so terrified by what had happened, meaning they didn't believe what had happened had happened. But yet, you know, uh, Vincey Glenn, for example, 12-year NFL star, on a chronic injury for 12 years, he's not walked, and he could barely lift his leg. Master Shaw healed him. He could kick his leg above his head again. And then I said, okay, cool. Can I get a testimonial? No, no, no. People aren't going to believe how this happened. I'm right. And so this education and awareness set me forth as a catalyst to really get people to understand two things. One, have an open mind. If it's not going to hurt anyone, as silly or as strange or as weird as it sounds, that somebody can heal cancer, that somebody can heal your, your skin. Somebody can heal your finances. Somebody can heal your marriage. As strange as that sounds, what does it hurt? You know, if if someone tells you trace calligraphies and for 10 minutes and I'm going to heal your marriage, I don't care what that calligraphy costs. If someone tells you trace this calligraphy, I'm going to double the amount of money you make as fast as you can. I don't care what the calligraphy costs. So I, it, it had no risk. I started tracing it and all these things started changing in my life. And I am bold enough to tell you, you laugh at me, scoff at me, make fun of me, but you all applaud things that I do. And I attribute it to the healing and the paradigm that what Master Shaw teaches you through the calligraphies and the healings and his transmission is that you already are connected. You already are happy and healthy and worthy and wealthy. You already are. Just clear the interference and I will help you clear the interference through my healing, through transmission, through the, the calligraphies and, and you, your life, as he said, I opened up a channel of wisdom. That's no lie. I, I don't look like Master Shaw. I don't act like Master Shaw. I believe in what he does and it works for me. And I want everyone out there to give it a chance to see if it works for you because it's changed my life. It's amazing. Yeah, the Master interference. Shaw, why, why does it work? Sorry. Master Shaw, why does it work? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Everybody understand we live between the heaven and the mother earth. Everybody know how powerful is heaven and the mother earth. They are both creator. Tao is the ultimate creator for heaven and earth. That's ancient wisdom. So therefore, since at the age six up to today, I'm in a spiritual journey, energy journey. Also, I become a Western medical doctor and a traditional Chinese medicine doctor and the Chinese Kung Fu and many, many uh, uh, paths I went through. That I realize now uh, everything can be summarized in one sentence. Source positive information. Quantum physics talk about information. But there's a positive and a negative. So therefore, you have a pain, inflammation, tumor, cancer, relationship, fighting, divorce. That's a negative. Nobody sees that's a positive. But this source, positive information, energy matter, stored in calligraphy. I'm just a servant, like a vessel. So when I do the calligraphy, they put the power inside. Then the David, Woody, Woody, Tracy, time is a day, everything changes. That's the point. <laughs> and... Yeah, and, and I, I do it, but Mikey, I do it on my phone. So check this out, right? I've carried this around for years. Uh, you know, people going, you know, hopefully you can see that there. I'm trying. These are the calligraphies. H- how come it can work on, you know, if you do a digital, oh, a digital, wow. picture, digital picture of it? I have them in my home as well, but I took a picture of what I have in my home. Those The, the paintings themselves go for over a million dollars to have. And the, the price didn't matter to me because... I make way more from the calligraphies than they cost, but you can get it digitally and you don't have to pay for the hand painted sign, everything. Why does it work on my phone as well as it does on my wall? Remember, source is everywhere. 
in quantum physics, no time, no space. Like now, you are in Los Angeles, I'm in Toronto. Through this uh, electron, you know, uh, through the internet, we connected. But uh, how about the sun? Once, when sun is shining, it's everywhere. More than Mother Earth, countries, planets, stars, galaxies, universes. So therefore, the calligraphy, they store the source of love light, frequency, vibration, positive information, energy, matter. It does not matter in the physical calligraphy or on the phone. The field is there. The energy field, the spiritual field, the love there. So while you connect it, zzz, invisible power there to transform, <laughs> transform the life. Do you think it's because when you make Dave do the calligraphy, he's, he's, it's like when you, they call it morning pages, when you start writing out all that stuff, you open up that part of your brain that into the theta brainwave and it just clears the channel and you're not uh, stuck. It's like this. Uh, thank you. Uh, let me answer you. It's like this. Uh, everybody can connect with heaven. Connect with the earth, connect with the source. It depends the spiritual practice, how long you practice, how close. Like you and David, you are close, but not everybody close with the two of you. So therefore, you need a connection with this heaven source spiritual practice. The more you connect it, the more power they give to you. Therefore, everybody can do this. It depends how, how close you connect with them. And how much you serve. You mentioned out to David serve. I give my life for service. Therefore, I have created a thousand, thousand healers, thousand, thousand heart-touching results. That is the point. And you've touched so many millions of people. Uh, but you've offered for me and my community next Tuesday, uh, the 24th, uh, at 1.15 p.m., Mike, uh, Pacific time, 4.15 Eastern time, we're going to give an actual presentation and you're going to demonstrate how this works for everyone for free uh, to, you know, talk about being of service. I asked Master Shaw, who, you know, is of his time. You think Dave Meltzer is active and, uh, you know, this guy is multi-active. This, he doesn't even need sleep. He can live on a drop of dew, I think, kind of like the Kung Fu <laughs> Panda. Uh, but you're you're giving up a half an hour of your time uh, to show how the calligraphies work and uh, allow people to get healed for financial or family. And it works in every aspect of, of, of your life. Um, we're going to host that 30 minute virtual event for free for everyone on uh, it says the 31st. We moved it back a week to the 31st. Yes. OK, good. So the 31st. Give me more time to get everybody there. That's good. Um, <laughs> But what what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do at the the demonstration? What what power is it gonna have? Why should people come uh, to know what I know? What what are you gonna show them? Think uh, in ancient uh, statement: If you want to know if a pear is sweet, taste it. So therefore, that half hour is a taste pear. <laughs> you taste, you feel the energy. I will live create a calligraphy. People want to see, oh, how much Sharvet. People love the art. See behind me, that's a calligraphy. So I will hold a brush, formal paper, and put the ink. I will take 10 minutes to create it. You introduce me, I create a calligraphy. That I will trace for every participant. Give them a love and a blessing. That's just about half hour. I love it. I got to ask a question, Mike, before I, you ask yours. So... One of the things that I find interesting is, you know, there's religious people uh, and then spiritual people. Some religious people, they say that this is, you know, not aligned with religion, that they can't do it because somehow it's a sin or it's like, what, what is your perspective if someone's very religious and they say this is not, you know, something that's right? A very good question. Tao calligraphy is not a religion. Lao Zi, the author of Tao Te Ching, and uh, you know millions and billions of people study Tao Te Ching. Lao Zi is the ancient philosopher. In Harvard, Stanford, every major university, people study Lao Zi philosophy. Country leader, like a, like a German uh, past prime minister, 
gave a calling to all the German to study Tao Te Ching. So Tao is the source, no relations. It's the source creator love light. And also I have, I have all kind of religious people who connect with me, study with me, including medical doctors and all kinds of religions. That's why I do not talk about religions. I'm going to talk about the source love, light, frequency, vibration, positive information. Just can't help us. <laughs> if, if someone is struggling right now, what's one thing they can do, small thing that can help them get more connected to the source? Example, now every Saturday at 10 to 11 a.m. Toronto time, I have 3,000 people, more than 40 countries every week. Thousands of people lie down there to do a dog click with me, light my search. And, and David, I believe two of you, let me also do three minutes of light my search on the uh, on August 31st. And to everybody, you know, like it's a pain, back pain, shoulder pain, try a little bit, give it a try. <laughs> well, I, I thought, you know, just to give details, where can people go? And then I was hoping maybe you give a one minute blessing as well. So where should people go? DrShaw.com, S-H-A. You can also email me, David at dmelter.com. Where should people go to sign up for August 31st? Uh, August 31st, I think... Uh, if you want it, we can open the line. We can open the, we can quickly to the open the line and people can go to drshaw.com. We can meet it. We can, we can organize everything. How about that? Uh, that do, do you want to, you, you want to organize by yourself? Or you want our side to do that? We, I think we both should organize it. Get everybody uh, from my community. I would tell you this and I, you know, people who watch this all the time. Nothing has changed my life more than this man and the calligraphies that I trace. Nothing in my life. Uh, and I don't understand it. I, I just have to tell you, to be honest, I, 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 I work, where as I am, I, I still <laughs> don't believe why it works. I don't know how it works, but I know it works. And I, and that's good enough for me. Let me just tell you, if I could continue the blessings of my family and the finances and the enlightenment that I have uh, and never know exactly how it works, I'm fine with that. And I want everyone I know to be fine with that as well. Um, would you mind, Master Shaw? Just you have a beautiful uh, voice and, and blessing. Could did you have a one minute uh, blessing for us? Yeah, uh, everybody watch. Uh, yeah, you watch this wall. This is my calligraphy wall. Everybody, let me give one minute blessing. Okay, everybody relax. Put the one palm on the navel, another palm shoulder. You want to have a lower back. You want to have your heart. Just relax one minute. Tao calligraphy, love and the light comes to one area of your body. Just one minute to feel the love. Uh, I will sing a little bit. I love my heart and soul. I love all you. Manati join heart and souls together love peace and harmony love peace and harmony. 20 seconds more. Yeah, hey, feel the love light. Yeah, hey, yeah, yo, yeah, hey, yeah, hey, yo. Okay. <laughs> Jim Dan, thank you so, so much. August 31st, 1.15 p.m. Pacific time. 
join Mike Diamond and I with the incredible, most influential in my life, most important person, important person I've ever met. As strange as it sounds, I sit here at the stadium for the National Football League. This is what I do. This is how I do it. And I want to just give you all my love and blessing, Mr. Shaw, appreciation for you to show up for my community and for my family, especially. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> love you. you. Love you. Love you. <laughs> Two of you. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Reach out to us. All right. August 31st, 1.15 p.m. Pacific time. Mikey's going to be there. Tell me, Mike, next time we're together, tell me how that shoulder feels. I don't know why it's going to feel so good, but I guarantee I will bet you anything you want. It'll feel good. That's how sure I am. I've seen it done so many different times. Uh, my takeaway for the day is do not let your reality, or do not let other people's reality like Master Shaw's surpass your imagination. Do not let your, your imagine, do not let someone else's reality surpass your imagination because I almost did that with Master Shaw and I would have lost out. I will not let somebody else's reality outdo my imagination. Please have that imagination. Give us a try, free, 1.15 p.m. Pacific time. I want to change as many people's lives as I can, impact over a billion people to be happy. This is the secret sauce. The other stuff is hard. This is the easy way. I'm cheating you by giving you Master Shaw. I'm giving you my secret sauce. Mikey D, what do you got to say before we leave? That was mind blowing. What an episode. What a contrast. And just so, it's just so, what an amazing day. Thank you so much. It was such a great day. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. I will see you next week and hopefully before that. Thank you, Mike Diamond. Thank you, Bill Gladstone. Thank you, Dr. and Master Shaw. 1 15 p.m. Pacific time, August 31st. Reach out, drsha.com or email me. I'll send you that way. Let's give everybody a free session. I promise you, it will heal you. I promise you, you'll love you. It's free with no risk. You'll love it. It changed my life. I don't know how, but it does. Anyway, remember most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow.